All right, we are back for the week nine preview with the Sporting Intelligence crew. I'm Ethan Weiss. I'm here with Pat Higgins. And before we dive in here, Pat, to what was a great week eight uh, of NFL football and then into the preview for week nine, um, big night here for your Phillies. Big night. Yep, we're recording on Tuesday. We typically record on Wednesdays because I have tickets to game four of the World Series. So um, Phillies about to kick off game three at home against the Astros and Eagles remain undefeated. So we're, we, we beat a dead horse to probably our non-Philadelphia fan audience every week, but got to remind everybody we're, we're, we're still having a good time this week in Philadelphia. If the Sixers start picking it up and playing well, you guys are going to be absolutely insufferable. Definitely. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens <laughs> with that, but we're, we're riding high for now. Sports town, Philadelphia. Let's dive into the NFL preview, but before we do a quick reminder to head on over to sporting-intelligence.com to subscribe to our dashboards, our main dashboard, which shows uh, concise uh, matchup analysis for each matchup for that, uh, that week in the NFL uh, makes it easy to see all offensive and defensive stats that you could imagine for that matchup all next to each other. Makes it very easy to break down those matchups as well as our player stats dashboard that allows you to see the mismatches and take advantage of those in fantasy, daily fantasy, prop betting, whatever uh, you may like to do. So head on over sporting-intelligence.com and give us a follow on Twitter at sportintellgnce. You can find us by searching Sporting Intelligence. We post great content, data visualizations, and uh, the link to our weekly newsletter as well, which is released on Friday mornings and goes through a lot of the matchups and, and provides great matchup analysis for that upcoming week. Pat, per, per usual, uh, let's start with our flowers. I will kick it off here um, this week. I am giving flowers to the New Orleans Saints defensive unit. Uh, this is a defense that had really high expectations coming into this season, and it's been extremely disappointing to this point uh, through week seven. They ranked 24th in defensive efficiency, which is down from second last season. They rank 18th in yards per play allowed, which is down from third last season. And they rank 14th in opponent red zone touchdown percentage, which is down from first in the NFL last year. They play in the worst division in football. So regardless of a slow start or whatnot, this division is still extremely wide open. Um, we've talked about this numerous times. Um, NFC is as, as an entire conference is wide open and, and playoff spots are, are going to be gettable. So this was a big spot here for the saints coming off two straight losses, seeing themselves as home underdogs, which is probably fairly, you know, unfamiliar for saints fans. And, and, you know, had the Raiders come into town who are another team that has started off this season, pretty disappointing, but as disappointing as the Raiders had been, this offense is by no means an easy matchup. They rank heading into this week, ninth in offensive efficiency, seventh in yards per play, third in percentage of their drives reaching the red zone. Um, Las Vegas has been an absolute wagon running the ball. Their last three games, they went for 164 against Houston, 155 against Kansas City, and 212 against Denver. Obviously, outside of Denver, those might not be the most stellar defenses, but nevertheless, rushing for over 150 yards in the NFL is, is no easy feat. And the Saints just absolutely suffocated this Raiders offense, um, held them to 38 rushing yards on 3.25 yards per carry. Uh, this is a Vegas rushing attack that was averaging 129 rushing yards on 5.57 yards per carry, uh, held them to 145 pass yards and 3.72 yards per attempt. Vegas averaging 254 pass yards per game on 6.7 yards per attempt made Derek Carr look absolutely horrible in this game to, to put it lightly, really. Um, they were able to get, get home on the quarterback four times, sacking Carr three times, and then Stidham when he did come in once as well. Um, they were able to hold Devontae Adams, who is pretty consensus, one of the league's best receivers, to one catch for three yards on five targets, as well as a nice, cool negative three rushing yards. As a Devontae Adams fantasy owner, I wasn't very happy with that output. Um, apparently Adams might've been dealing with the flu, but nevertheless, he was out there 
and the Saints D covered him up. Um, this was the New Orleans defense that we have been we were promised coming into this year. This is the the unit that is supposed to be one of the best in football. And they finally looked like it uh, and came through in a big spot for this team to, uh, you know, keep them right in the, in the playoff on. Yeah. I've been pretty surprised looking at our, you know, matchup analysis dashboards every week and, you know, looking at the saints stats up and down on the defensive side of the ball, just seeing and knowing how well they've played over the last couple seasons, ranking in the top five in a lot of your key metrics. And, you know, th- there's just been a big divergence from that this season. And so it, I wouldn't say it was good or bad to see it this week, but it just sort of made sense finally for the first time this season, seeing the Saints sort of just suffocating the opposing offense. I saw, I, I was reading up on uh, the you know how the game played out, and Derek Carr had 40 yards passing at halftime, and the Raiders didn't get the ball into the Saints' territory until the three-minute mark of the fourth quarter. So just an all-around all thrashing for the Saints over the Raiders at home on Sunday. Yeah, pretty insane, and and it doesn't matter who you're playing in the NFL. These guys are all pros and holding a team to zero points is impressive. No matter what, usually even in an absolute, absolute thrashing, you'll see that team at least, you know, get a field goal um, or something random and zero points is uh, uh, a great feat. Um, so it was nice to see that from the saints defense, uh, Pat, where are your flowers going this week? Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to give my flowers to the 49ers front office this week. So I've been pretty high on the 49ers throughout the, you know, throughout our show over the course of the 2022 season. I think that they have a really strong roster from top to bottom. And I think that, you know, this week their front office deserves some flowers for going out in the middle of the season and making a bold move and acquiring Christian McCaffrey. Uh, a, a move that obviously paid huge dividends in a divisional game on Sunday as the Ram or excuse me as the 49ers swept the Rams in the season series the 49ers were four and four heading into the game and they were bit by the injury bug a bit on their trip out to the east coast they lost a bunch of guys in the secondary against the Falcons and, and you know they had they had a tough stretch for a couple weeks it kind of looked like you know is this team the same team as the the 2020 team that sort of fell apart and got bit by the injury bug but they go out and grab McCaffrey and in a second game in San Fran without Debo Samuel on the field McCaffrey ran for 94 yards scored a touchdown on the ground on 18 carries caught eight balls for 55 yards and a touchdown and threw a 34 yard touchdown in the third quarter so that's 175 yards of total offensive productions and three touchdowns from a running back and I think it's a sign of things to come we all know that Kyle Shanahan loves to use his running backs to create offensive mismatches with linebackers and and the like on the opposite side of the ball and it looks like McCaffrey obviously and not surprisingly is going to fit very well into this scheme particularly when they get Debo Samuel back onto the field I think that's going to be a really tough task to defend this 49ers offense when you have both of those guys on the field moving around going out in motion um, and, you know, just creating mismatches with linebackers and guys who don't necessarily have the speed to cover either of those guys or both of those guys. And so the 49ers, I think right now at this point in the year, know exactly who they are, and that's so important that in the NFL. They have an excellent front seven, and they go get they go and get after the quarterback on the defensive side of the ball, and they just went out and got, co- you know, Kyle Shanahan, another uh, really, really strong playmaker to you know try to take this offense to the next level. So, flowers to the 49ers front office for you know making that move. Yeah, this was a, a game that that we talked about on last week's show, and you broke it down and said why you're taking the Niners, and it was one of those things that that it, it's one of those matchups that the Niners just have the Rams number, and they showed it again here. Uh, you talked about McCaffrey; I believe he's like the third running back ever to pass for a touchdown, uh, catch a touchdown and run for a touchdown in the same game. Don't quote me on that, but I think the last one was like Ladanian Tomlinson. So that's some pretty crazy territory as a Cardinals fan. It's not real nice to, you know, the prospect staring in the face of having to face McCaffrey twice a year now. Um, so that's not great, but yeah, this is, this was a great move, um, for the Niners, obviously getting one of the most, you know, explosive playmakers in the NFL can't really be bad. Um, for anybody. So um, yeah, good, good for the Niners, I guess. <laughs> yeah. And we talk about like Saquon Barkley being back on the field this year and just making a bunch of plays. Christian McCaffrey's another guy who objectively is just really, really fun to watch. And he's a guy who's kind of been buried in Carolina 
over the last three to four seasons. So it'll be good to see him sort of in, um, you know, some of those prime time pre- premium matchups down the stretch of the season and, you know, probably looking into the postseason as well. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's move on now to some more uh, week eight, uh, some more of the games that we just watched this past weekend. Uh, I'm going to go here first. We're, we're going to go for, uh, let's go for the, the game that you learned the most from this weekend. And that game for me was the Cowboys versus the Bears. And I'll touch on the Bears quickly after, but my my main takeaway was about the Dallas Cowboys and that they are extremely scary with Dak Prescott back. Um, this is a team coming into this week. They were five and two. Their two losses were to Philadelphia, who looks far and away the best team in the NFC, and Tampa in a game in which Dak got hurt. They are sporting the number one defense with arguably the MVP of the league right now and Micah Parsons on that side of the ball. And the only thing holding this team back was the passing game. They are, you know, heading into this week under mostly Cooper rush this season. They are ranked 27th in pass yards per game and 25th in yards per attempt. Uh, In this game, Dallas's offense shined against the bears defense. That's not great, but it's, you know, it's no slouch of a defense and Dallas scored touchdowns on five of their first seven drives, including their first four drives. The other two that they didn't score a touchdown on was a three and out deep in their pinned in their own territory. They punted and Dak threw one interception near the end of the first half. They went on a 12 play touchdown drive to open up the game on the first drive of the game. And that is a recipe for success for this Dallas team, allowing their defense to just play aggressive with a lead all game, allowing their their dogs to just go at it. Uh, Dallas's offense was able to convert nine of 11 on third down, which is just an astronomical number on third down uh, conversion percentage. While Chicago has been poor uh, on third downs defensively, allowing the 30th, 30th highest uh, third down conversion uh, rate in the league to opposing offenses. Nine for 11 is ridiculous. It doesn't matter. Um, so that is something. And every time they got in the red zone, all three times, the Dallas Cowboys converted to touchdown. And this is all without Zeke Elliott as well, who is, you know, maybe not necessarily as explosive as Pollard rushing the ball, but he's great in short down situations. He's a workhorse back and he's, he's a better blocker than Pollard in the passing game. Most likely. Um, I think that this Dallas team with their defense and now a legit passing attack as well to pair with this dual headed monster they got in the backfield uh, in a weak NFC. This is all kind of a recipe that makes them look like a serious, serious Super Bowl contender. And I um, definitely got my eyes peeled for Dallas coming down the stretch of this season. I did promise I would touch on the Bears here quickly. And I learned in this game that Chicago's offense is actually pretty decent. And I just gave all the, you know, we've talked about the Cowboys defense extensively already, uh, um, you know, on this show in past weeks, but the Cowboys defense is legit and coming in on, you know, the number one defense, um, their biggest weakness, Dallas's defense has been, um, you know, defending the run and Chicago one of the best, if not the best rushing attack in the league was able to expose that rushing for 240 yards against a really good defense. Their offense, Chicago's was able to keep pace with Dallas for a while in this game. They scored a touchdown with 10 minutes left in the third quarter that made this a one score game. So while the the scoreboard at the end of the game says they were down 20 um, right after that touchdown, Dallas scored with a touchdown of their own. And then on the next possession, there was a, scoop and score Montgomery fumbled Parsons took it to the house. And then, you know, this game was out of hand, but for for a decent bit of this game, as, as explosive as Dallas's offense was Chicago was right there with them. Fields looked more than competent. And, you know, we've seen the, the, the bears, obviously the uh, trade deadline has come and gone now and the bears dealt Roquan Smith and, and Robert Quinn on their defense. So, um, clearly sellers, however, they did pick up Chase Claypool, which will be interesting to see how this offense reacts with, you know, a, a pretty solid wide receiver one in there for Chicago. And there's actually some hope um, for this offense now, especially behind a dominant rushing attack that leads the NFL in rush yards per game. 
Yeah, yeah, I think you touched on a lot of stuff there, but yeah, I it, it's unfortunate again to say as an Eagles fan, but you know Dallas posting forty nine points against uh, you know a decent or above average Bears defense is not a great sign. And again, on the on the Bears side of the ball on on offense, I think that Fields is sort of maybe rounding into form a little bit, and uh, I think you know Chicago's front office is sort of playing the long game, kind of getting some you know, future dollars off the salary cap to go forward and sort of rebuild this roster around field. So it'll be interesting to see how Chicago plays the rest of the way. But yeah, I I think there were definitely some good takeaways on both sides of the ball, uh, you know, between the bears and the Cowboys. Yeah, it was a fun game to watch a lot of scoring up and down the field. Um, Just an exciting one overall. And okay. Uh, Pat, what was your, uh, what was the game you learned the most from this past weekend? Yeah, the game I learned most from this week was in the Seahawks-Giants game. So the Seahawks kind of came into this season and they they sort of seem like a team maybe in the stratosphere of the Lions where they're an exciting team to watch. They do some things well. They don't do some things very well. But, it you know, through, through eight weeks of the season, heading into week nine, the Seahawks to me look like a real playoff team in the NFC. Uh, obviously, they caught the Giants in a bad travel spot off a trip to London a few weeks ago where they played the Packers and won outright. They had another trip down to Florida to face the Jags. And then all of a sudden they got to turn around and fly cross country to play the Seahawks on the road. But, you know, in this game, the Seahawks stopped the Giants best playmaker in Saquon Barkley and, you know, sort of forced Daniel Jones to make plays to beat them. And Daniel Jones did not do that. So I wouldn't go as far as saying the Seahawks are necessarily a juggernaut in the NFC. I think you got the Cowboys, Niners, Eagles and a couple other teams up there, but they've shown that they can win games in a number of different ways and you know they're at this point you know through week eight heading into week nine they sit at five and three and they're in sole possession of first place in the nfc west which i don't think anyone would argue is one of the better divisions in the nfc and in all of football so let's look over the last five weeks the seahawks beat the lions in a shootout on the road they beat up on the cardinals in a low scoring game where they won 19 19 to 9 at home they posted 37 points on the chargers defense that at least has a lot of talent if they're not proficient in executing with that talent on the field and now they come home and beat the Giants at home by taking away their best player and forcing you know the guys who aren't necessarily the best playmakers on the offensive side of the ball to beat them so they held the Giants to 225 yards total from scrimmage not 225 yards passing or 225 rushing 225 yards total and held Saquon Barkley to just 53 yards on 20 carries that's less than three yards per carry. They held the Giants to just two red zone trips, six to 16 on third down and forced two turnovers. So in summary, this team just looks like a team built on and doing what Pete Carroll loves to do, which is play really good defense, take care of the football and run the football. So I'm excited to see how Seattle does the rest of the way, but they look again, like the 49ers, like a team that knows exactly who they are and you know, they're playing to their strengths and uh, that's, that's why they're five and three in first place in the NFC West. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think early on in this season, people have been looking for a reason to be out on the Seahawks just based on preseason expectations for this team. But you touched on it uh, briefly there at the beginning. This team can win a number of different ways, and that's a super valuable trait to have as an NFL team just because not every game is going to go exactly to plan. And if you're able to, you know, pull out wins in a variety of ways that can help you in, in different situations. You can never count out the Seahawks this season because of how weird the NFC is playing out to be. And they have one of, if not the best home field advantages in all of football. So anytime they're up there at Lumen field in Seattle, they're a serious threat to win. It doesn't matter who they're rolling out on that field. And that's super valuable. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. It'll be, you know, it'll be exciting to see, you know, Seattle the rest of the way for sure. Yeah. Looking forward to that. Um, this week we, you know, Cardinals got the Seahawks. So, so we'll see. I know we're going to touch on that game a little bit. Um, I guess that's a great transition here going into our week nine preview coming up. looks to be a great, uh, pretty interesting slate. There should be some really good games. Um, We're going to go through and make our picks coming off an absolutely scorching hot week for the fellas going six and one last week. That's some special stuff there. Uh, Let's keep it rolling. And I will start here with my favorite team side. And that is the Minnesota Vikings minus three and a half on the road at Washington. 
Um, I think that Washington is being slightly overvalued in this spot. Uh, Washington coming off three straight wins versus three pretty mediocre teams in Chicago, Green Bay, and Indianapolis. And that was an Indianapolis team with Sam Ellinger in his first start. And it took the commanders till the last drive of the game to ever have the lead. So, you know, I, I Minnesota's on a tear right now. And going back to Washington real quick, you know, while Taylor Heineke has been great, I just think that this is a game that Minnesota's D line can take over and can dominate here. Uh, Washington's offense is 24th in rush yards per game, 26th in yards per carry Minnesota's defense, eighth in rush yards per game allowed and fifth in yards per carry allowed. I, I think that the, you know, Vikings are going to load the box and really make Heineke beat them. Um, Washington's offensive line is allowing the 28th most sacks, excuse me, they're 28th in sacks allowed per game. They're allowing a ton of sacks, 31st in QB hits allowed per game. It doesn't matter who's back there. They're getting hit. Minnesota's D line is fifth in sacks per game. They absolutely ravage offensive lines and get to the quarterback at a very high rate. As you saw last week against Kyler Murray and the Arizona Cardinals. Washington's offense is 29th in percent of, of their drives that they're reaching the red zone. Minnesota's defense is fifth in allowing their opponent to reach the red zone. I think Washington's really going to struggle to run the ball. I think it's going to all be on Taylor Heineke, um, who's going to be under pressure. I think that, you know, this is going to, it's going to be difficult to produce scoring opportunities for this Washington defense or excuse me, Washington offense on the other side of the ball. The Vikings offense has been absolutely rolling. Uh, they're sixth in offensive efficiency, ninth in percentage of their drives that reach the red zone, fifth in red zone touchdown percentage, and they've only allowed the eighth most sacks in the league. Um, this has been Washington's defense. Uh, Washington's defense's biggest strength has been their pass rush. Um, they rank 23rd in defensive efficiency, but they rank ninth in sacks per game and first in QB hits per game. I think this Vikings team um, has the offensive line that could you know, limit that advantage for Washington. Um, looking at the point differentials here, uh, Minnesota is 10th in first quarter point differential and sixth in first half point differential. Washington is tied for 27th in first quarter point differential and sits 28th in first half point differential. Um, I expect Minnesota to get out to an early lead here, force Heineke to play from behind, and let their defensive line get after Heineke, force him to play under pressure. I think this is going to free up Kirk Cousins in this Minnesota offense who have been able to, you know, have some success throwing the ball. And I, I think they're going to take advantage of this middle of the pack Washington defense. And I'm going to lay the three and a half here. Yep. I like it. I, th I, th I think you broke down, you know, a, a lot of the different mismatches that you have here. And again, if anybody's listening to, you know, the way that Ethan just broke down that game, this is all available on our dashboards. You know, if, if you go on it, you'll, you'll quickly be able to understand and see all these different mismatches at, at each different level of the game. And it just really helps to, you know, help you sort of understand and how understand how each team is going to attack each, you know, opposition's weaknesses. And so, yeah, I, I agree. I think the way if this game plays out the way that you think is going to play out, it, it looks like Minnesota is going to take, uh, you know, control the game early. And I think they're going to put a lot of pressure on Heineke and, as a result, I think, yeah, Minnesota minus three and a half is, is a great bet this week for sure. Uh, Pat, what is, uh, what is your uh, favorite team side this week? My favorite side is going to be the Pats minus five and a half at home over the Colts. So I was looking through the, you know, you know, the slate and the sides on, um, you know, on week nine. And I, I don't love a lot of sides on this week's boards, but my ears perked up when I saw that the Pats are facing the Colts at home. You got Bill, Pel Bill Belichick taking on a young second-year quarterback in his second career start on the road in Sam Ellinger. So Ellinger played fine in his first start as a pro, but he's going to be facing pretty tough task against Belichick, who is the master of making opposing offenses play left-handed. So what does it mean for the Colts to be playing left-handed in this game? It means that Belichick's likely going to stack the box, try to shut down Jonathan Taylor, and basically make you know Sam Ellinger beat you on the road uh, in his second career start. And if you look at what the Colts did this week on their offensive coaching staff, they relieved their offensive coordinator on Tuesday. So if you're Sam Ellinger with Bill Belichick coming up on Sunday, that's a pretty lonely spot to be. I think it's going to be a pretty tough 
uh, you know, matchup and tough task for Ellinger to go on the road this week. Obviously, I do have some concerns about a few matchups in this game, particularly with New England's ability to stop explosive passing plays and slow down Taylor. Uh, the, the Patriots rank 22nd in the league in rushing yards allowed per game and 23rd in the league in yards per carry allowed. But the Colts have not been really good at, you know, on the offensive line, you know, altogether this season. And they've really have not been able to get Taylor going this season aside from week one where he went for 160 yards uh, on the ground. But, uh, you know, on the opposite side of the ball, the Colts ranked 29th in the league in rushing yards per game and, you know, yards per carry at just 3.7 yards per carry. Uh, so that is, obviously that's going to be tough, right? They're, they're going to have to, you know, allocate a lot of players in the box to sort of slow down Taylor. But if they can do that, the Patriots do an excellent job at rushing the quarterback. They're fifth in the league in total sacks and forcing turnovers. They're fourth in the league in turnovers forced per game. Meanwhile, the Colts, as we saw with Matt Ryan under center before he got benched, are really struggling to protect their passer. The Colts, as a team, rank 29th in the league in sacks allowed and 31st in QB hits, and as a result, rank 31st in the league in turnovers per game. So last week against the Jets, the, you know, Zach Wilson obviously went for over 300 yards, but the Pats got to him two times for two sacks and forced three interceptions. So I don't necessarily expect Mac Jones to you know, find a groove against a Colts defense. It's been pretty strong this year. They're ranking top 10 in a lot of different metrics, eighth in yards per play allowed, seventh in passing yards per game, sixth in yards per carry. But I do expect the Patriots basically to take away Jonathan Taylor and apply a lot of pressure to Sam Ellinger. And, you know, obviously hopefully force a lot of turnovers and give uh, you know some short fields to their offense so if you win the turnover battle in the NFL you typically win the game and at you know five and a half under the key number of six I'm going to take the Pats at home against you know Sam Ellinger who's a, a second year quarterback in his second career start without uh, you know his offensive coordinator coordinator that he's been working with all season and you know going against Bill Belichick give me the Pats minus five and a half. Yeah, I love this play. This is a Colts offense with Ellinger at the, you know, at the helm here that was only able to muster up 16 points against the Washington defense last week, which is significantly worse so far this season than the New England defense. Uh, I think it's going to be tough, like you laid out, uh, for this Indianapolis team to put up points, um, especially on the road at New England. I'm actually going to, you know, use this perfect transition you just set up for me, Pat, here to roll this right into my favorite over under this week, which is this Pat's Colts game uh, going under the total of 39 and a half. Uh, you, you laid it out a ton. Um, I'm just going to dive in a, a little bit more here on this matchup. Um, by the numbers and, and why I lo love this under. So this is one of our model plays our, our three and out model, as we call it likes this play. Um, this is a model that typically picks unders on games with two just bad defenses. Um, and these or excuse me, sorry, picks unders on games with two bad offenses. And these offenses are bad. Um, you touched on it a little bit with the Colts um, quickly, 29th in offensive efficiency, rookie quarterback. Um, you know, you'd love to lean on just Jonathan Taylor in this spot, but like you said, their offensive line has not been great. Um, Indianapolis only rushing for 88 yards per game and 3.7 yards per carry, both 29th in the NFL, as you touched on uh, Indianapolis offense, 23rd in percent of their drives reaching the red zone, 26th in red zone touchdown conversion percentage. So, you know, they're struggling to rush, run the ball. They're giving up the 28th most sacks uh, per game in the league. They're struggling to protect their quarterback. They're struggling to move the ball into the red zone. And when they do get there, they're struggling to punch it in. Um, on the other side of the ball, New England's offense really hasn't been much better, if if at all better. Um, they rank 30th in offensive efficiency. This is a, an offense that was really, really reliant on what was an elite rushing attack with Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson at the beginning of the year, and that has absolutely fallen off a cliff these past few weeks. Um, this this rushing attack peaked at eighth, um, eighth in the NFL with 142 rush yards per game through week five. It's gone trended down ever since week five. They now sit at 13th at just 126 and a half rush yards per game. Um, they're struggling to throw the ball amidst this weird quarterback controversy they got going on. If you want to call it that they rank 23rd in pass yards per game. They rank 28th in red zone touchdown percentage. They rank 30th in offensive penalty yards. Um, they've really struggled with turnovers and shooting themselves in the foot on offense. I think this is two teams that, um, you know, are, are struggle to punch the ball in and, and score touchdowns. 
I think this is going to be an absolute field goal fest and go way under the total. Uh, this is also, you know, that's just talking about the offenses on the other side of the ball. Both of these defenses are actually really solid. Um, quietly had, a, had a really solid start to the year for both these defenses, new England ranking 10th in defensive efficiency, Indianapolis 12th, uh, new England is eighth in sacks per game, fourth in turnovers, force per game. Um, New England does have a weakness on third down conversion percentage and yards per carry. However, those aren't strengths of the Indianapolis offense, so they may struggle to take advantage of those weaknesses. Indianapolis defense, eighth in yards per play allowed, seventh in percentage of opponent drives reaching the red zone, fifth in third down conversion percentage allowed. I, I think this is going to be an absolute grind them out battle. Lots of punts, lots of field goals when teams do get in scoring position. Um, both quarterbacks, I think, are going to come into this one simply trying not to lose the game. I don't think there's going to be a lot of explosive plays. Points are going to come at a premium, and I'm going to you know kind of roll your – New England minus five and a half into this under 39 and a half as well. Yep. I like it. I, it, it just feels like a game that's going to be, you know, 17 to 10, 20 to 10. So, um, you know, anytime you're taking the under, you might want to be looking at the underdog, but I, I just think that the way, you know, the circumstances are, circumstances are presenting themselves on the offensive side of the ball for the Colts. I think the Colts are going to struggle to score points. And I think that the Patriots, again, like we touched on, are going to be able to force some turnovers to give their offense some short fields and, you know, convert them into either, you know, field goals or touchdowns. Yeah. I could not agree more. And, and they talk about it a lot in the context of like Patrick Mahomes or, or Josh Allen, when you're playing the chiefs or the bills, you go for these fourth downs when, when you're, you know, in scoring distance, you go for it on fourth down because, you're not going to beat those teams with field goals. This is, this feels like a game that you can win with field goals that if you're down there, take the points because the other team isn't going to be able to move the ball either. Field goals are an unders best friend. And I think this could be a field goal fest, um, but let's move on from, from this game that we, I guess both apparently expect to be an absolute stinker. Um, and, and let's move to uh, your favorite over under of the week. Yep, we're going to go all the way out west. We are going under 50.5 in the Cardinals-Seahawks. So this game on paper, the way the the Cardinals offense has kind of taken off over the last two weeks, looks like it could have the potential to be a shootout, just the way that the Cardinals offense has sort of exploded with DeAndre Hopkins back in the mix. But I think that, you know, I, I'm riding the Seahawks game script to win this game, and I'm, I'm going to take it under a high total of 50.5. Uh, if we look a couple weeks ago, earlier in October, the, the you know this game played to a 19, 19 to nine result in Seattle. Obviously, again, things have changed with the return of DeAndre Hopkins, but I expect the Seahawks to really try to control this game via the run game. In this matchup, the the Seahawks rank second in the league in yards per carry and fifth in explosive running plays, facing a Cardinals defense that ranks thirtieth in league in explosive running plays allowed. Again, we know Pete Carroll to be a coach in his long tenure in the NFL as a, a coach who really tries to build a team that runs the ball, plays physical football, and doesn't turn the ball over. And I, I think that's what they're really going to try to do against the Cardinals here. When you're running the ball, you keep the clock moving and you keep DeAndre Hopkins off of the field. Uh, again, on the offensive side of the ball for the Cardinals, I think that their underlying you know, offensive ratings might be a little deflated with DeAndre Hopkins' absence. But, you know, Ethan, you, you watch these guys a lot. Like, what, what, who else do they have on, you know, the offensive side of the ball to get the ball to aside from DeAndre Hopkins? They, you know, they obviously lost Marquise Brown. A.J. Green looks like he's sort of on, you know, the tail end of his career, you know, bottom of the ninth. A.J. Green is terrible. Yeah, and so, you know, without Marquise Brown, it's it's DeAndre Hopkins or bust or what. So, um, you know, we you know, looking at our offensive efficiency ratings, the Cardinals rank 24th in the league in offensive efficiency while the Seahawks rank 27th in the league in offensive of, excuse me, offensive efficiency on their side of the ball. They really like to run the ball and you know, what happens when you run the ball, keep it in bounds, the clock keeps moving. So this is a t it's a high total of 50 and a half, and I, I just expect the Seahawks to sort of try to impose their will against the Cardinals, keep Hopkins off the field, and I I'm taking under 50 and a half in this game. Yeah, I, I like this play. There's a couple concerns that I have with this play, and that is two major differences from the first time these two teams met. And the first is that this game is in Arizona. The last game was in Seattle, which is a big deal. Uh, we talked about the Seahawks home field advantage a little bit. And the second is DeAndre Hopkins that we talked about a little bit. D-Hop's one of those guys who makes everybody around him better. It's why he's such a special player is because he requires so much attention from the defense that it opens up other stuff for all these other guys who 
can't necessarily create that for themselves. So Arizona's offense has looked better with DeAndre Hopkins. Arizona still struggle, you know, Cardinals have really struggled in the first half this year. And the Seahawks are not a team you want to go down to with this rushing attack that has been, you know, really good to start the year. 12th in rush yards per game, second in yards per carry. Um, game script wise, if the Cardinals go down, th- this is going to, you know, the Seahawks are just going to try to grind them out in the run game um, against the Cardinals defense. That's been, you know, not, not the best. Uh, but I agree with you. 50 and a half is just way too high um, for, for these two teams, especially the way that they played their first matchup. All right, let's uh, move on now to some player props. Um, again, knock on wood. Said this last week, we are red hot in this department, um, so I'm going to keep knocking on some wood. Um, but I let's keep that too. rolling, and I'm going to keep that rolling here with uh, Patrick Mahomes over his passing yards total. Um, I would probably expect this line to come out around 285, 290. I would bet this all the way up to 300. Um Mahomes has this Chiefs offense absolutely humming, um, and it's pretty much exclusively due to the pass game. Kansas City is first in offensive efficiency, and they rank 23rd in rush yards per game and 27th in explosive rush plays. So to cover that that difference there, uh, it's been Mahomes. It's been this passing game. They rank second in pass yards per game, fourth in yards per attempt, eighth in explosive pass plays. The Chiefs are converting the... Third downs, they're converting at the highest rate in the NFL. They're also allowing the sixth um, fewest sacks per game, and they have the sixth fewest offensive penalty yards per game. So this is an offense that moves the ball through the air extremely well. They protect Mahomes extremely well. They convert on third down. They keep drives alive. They don't shoot themselves in the foot with offensive penalties, and they love to throw the ball, rightfully so, keeping – you know, keeping the ball in Mahomes' hands, probably a good strategy. Um, I talked about this a little bit last week. Common sense coordinator, uh, Chiefs free tip, Andy Reid, if you're listening, you already do this, but just keeping the ball in Mahomes' hands, probably a good call. Um, they, this is an offense that stays ahead of the chains. They convert their downs. Um, this is a great matchup for this prop against the Tennessee defense that is terrible against the pass and really good against the rush. Um Tennessee ranks 25th in pass yards per game allowed and 25th in yards per attempt passing allowed. And they rank second in rush yards per game allowed and eighth in yards per carry allowed. Very strong against the rush. Very not strong against the pass. Um, That fits right into the Chiefs, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes, exactly what they want to do. Um, I I will give the Titans defense a little bit of credit. Um, Passing wise, they've been better since the bye. Um, holding both Matt Ryan and Davis Mills below their season averages. However, Matt Ryan got benched the next game and Davis Mills is terrible. Um, Before their bye week, they let Carson Wentz, also terrible, uh, to throw for 359 yards. They allowed Matt Ryan, who I just talked about, is now riding the bench to throw for 356 pass yards. Derek Carr, who threw for a cool 40 in the first half last week, he threw for 303 against his Titans defense. And Josh Allen, obviously great. He threw, th- threw for 317. Um, this is Chiefs and Arrowhead, prime time. Mahomes under the bright lights. They're going to struggle to run the ball against a good Tennessee rushing rushing defense. I don't even think they they care. They're not even going to try. They're going to throw the ball. They're going to put it in Mahomes' hands, and he's going to torch a Tennessee defense that has been awful against the pass thus far this season. I'm taking Mahomes' passing yards over. Yep, I love it. Put the ball in your best player's hands, and you know, particularly against a, a defense's struggles to defend the pass, I think that Mahomes will keep it rolling this week for sure. Seems so simple, doesn't it? <laughs> With, with our dashboards <laughs> right, at sportingintelligence.com. Uh, uh, it seems yeah. very simple. <laughs> so, yeah, sporting-intelligence.com. Uh, keep, keep, those, keep those plugs coming here. Um, all right, Pat, your uh, favorite player prop this week. Yep. So last week um, I was on Derrick Henry over his rushing yards prop of, you know, you could get it between 99 and 102 against the Texans rushing defense. And he hit that in the first half of that game. So what are we going to do this week? We're going to go back to the well with Miles Sanders over 77 and a half rushing yards on Thursday night against the Texans on the road. So another week is coming up where we're just targeting the Texans atrocious run defense that ranks 32nd in the league in rushing yards allowed per game, 31st in yards per carry, and they're also 32nd in the league in explosive rushing plays allowed over 10 yards. They're allowing 187 rushing yards on 
um, you know, on the ground per game. Miles Sanders only needed nine carries to get 78 yards in a blowout win against the Steelers last week at home. But I expect the Eagles' sixth-ranked rushing attack to just impose their will against the Texans' defense on Thursday night. Miles Sanders is sixth in the league in rushing yards per game and sixth in the league in explosive rushing plays in 2022. He obviously has a little bit of a platoon to deal with as the Eagles, you know, try to give uh, mixing some carries to Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell. But I think Miles Sanders is playing really well. He's in a contract year, and I expect him to rip off a, a handful of explosive plays in this run game and to clear his season average of 80 yards in the game on Thursday night. So obviously, again, this is a, a Thursday night game, short week on the road. Let's not overthink it here with the Eagles, you know, you know, trying to build their scheme. Let's come in and let's just sort of sit on this really bad rushing defense and uh, just run them over and, you know, milk the clock and, and get out of here with a win. Um, again, we don't, we don't really ne- necessarily need to beat a dead horse, but last week Derrick Henry and Dontrell Hilliard combined for 302 yards on 40 carries on the ground and, I'm just looking at other notable running back performances against this Texans defense in 2022. Jonathan Taylor went for 161 yards on 31 carries early in the season. A couple weeks later, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon combined for 122 yards on 25 carries. Cleo Herbert of the Bears went for 157 yards on 20 carries. And two weeks ago, we hit on this prop on the podcast as well. Josh Jacobs went for 143 yards on 20 carries. So, Let's not overthink it. Short week. Eagles run the ball very well. Uh, the Texans don't defend the run very well. Let's take Miles Sanders over 77 and a half rushing yards. And before I get off the, uh, you know, the, the Philly talk, but, you know, I was given my uh, prediction on the, the, the Pats Colts game. Bryce Harper went yard and Alec Baum just went yard. So Phillies are up three, nothing pretty fired up about that. I know this is a football podcast, but the World Series is in Philadelphia, and I'm pretty pretty happy about what's going on on uh, live tev- television right now. Let's go, Phillies. Um, uh, as just a general baseball fan, I think we're all rooting against the Astros. Um, back to the football part of this talk. Uh, yeah, I expect the Eagles to absolutely impose their will against the Texans here. Um, this is a rush defense that just has no chance against anybody. Sanders has been great so far this year. I'm also going to look at Miles Sanders' longest rushing prop, like you said, expect him to rip off a couple and, and clear this um, clear this total early and pile it on. So yeah, n- no need no need to elaborate on that one any more than we already have. Let's move on to our uh, final segment here um, on the show. Our our you know longer term outlooks. We're we're gonna go to sunnies and cloudies this week. Um, we've been doing the power rankings the past couple weeks. We will revisit those um, probably you know, a little later in the season as we start to uh, get a, a clearer picture of, of what the playoff um, push is going to look like down the stretch. Um, and then maybe talk about this again as we head into the playoffs. So we will return to the power rankings discussion, uh, but for now let's go to sunnies and cloudies. Um, and Pat, you sunny and cloud, you sunny or cloudy this week. Yeah, I'm going to go cloudy, and I got a cloudy outlook for the Raiders the rest of the way. So, Ethan, you kind of touched on it earlier in the show with the the Saints defense, but um, it it was a great performance for the Saints defense, and obviously on the opposite side of that coin, it was an absolutely atrocious performance for the Raiders offense. They didn't cross cross midfield until the three-minute mark of the fourth quarter on the road against the Saints on Sunday. Derek Carr only threw for 40 yards through the air in the first half. And things aren't looking very, you know, good for for the Raiders right now. Under Josh McDaniels, we sort of expected to see Derek Carr sort of continue his upward trajectory in his career, particularly with the addition of Devontae Adams. But what what do the Raiders really do well on the offensive side of the ball? And the answer is not much. They rank they average or they rank 18th in our offensive efficiency ratings, you know, a below average um, rating in in that department. They're 20th in the league in third down conversion percentage, 17th in the league in passing yards per game, 23rd in yards per attempt, and 22nd in explosive passing plays. So, you know, Josh McDaniels was brought in to sort of, um, you know, play to Derek Carr's strengths, and that hasn't happened so far this year. Uh, On the opposite side of the ball, their defense has been atrocious like it's been the last five years. They're 31st in the league in defensive efficiency, 24th in yards per play allowed, 29th in third down conversion rate, 27th in yards per 
uh, you know, yards per attempt, 31st in red zone percentage, 29th in pass rush, 28th in QB hits, and 32nd in turnovers forced per game. So we're, we're kind of killing you with numbers here, but the Raiders don't do anything well, you know, in the department of what they're supposed to do well in the offensive, offensive side of the ball, and their defense absolutely stinks. So in a loaded, you know, AFC the rest of the way, the, the Raiders won a lot of close games last year, and I think a lot of people were predicting some <laughs> regression for the Raiders in 2022, and the regression's here. They're 2-5, and five, and, they're, you know, their, their strength is one of their weaknesses. So uh, the rest of the way, obviously, they have the Jags, Colts, and Broncos up next on the schedule, and it looks like they could. Th- those are a couple winnable games, but this team is just not a complete NFL roster capable of competing down the stretch run, executing a full pl- game plan, you know, from start to finish or winning a playoff game in the NFC. So I yeah. am I am very bearish on the Raiders the rest of the way. They don't do anything well, and I don't expect them to sort of reverse course as the 2022 season continues on. Yeah. You know, I started off the, the show here talking about the Saints just absolutely trouncing them. It's a Raiders team that made some moves in the offseason that seemed like they were going to give their team some new life, and it just hasn't turned out so well. Um, Like you said, it's really hard to find a bright spot in this Raiders season to this point. Tough AFC. It's chock full, loaded at the top. There's no easy games in this conference, and and I don't think that really helps um, the, the Raiders trying to claw from a few games back here. That's a tough ask. And when you're not really executing anything that well, that makes it even tougher. Let's uh, move on here. I am also cloudy this week. Um, ending, the, ending the show on a little cloudy note here, but, but that's okay. And, and uh, you know, I am cloudy on the New York jets. Um, you know, this may seem pretty obvious. I think everyone was cloudy on the New York Jets, and then they jumped out to a five and two start. Uh, n- now they're five and three, uh, but you know, it was an exciting time for seven, eight weeks here to be a Jets fan. Um, they find themselves here still at five and three at the top of the wild card standings um, in what we've talked about as a loaded AFC. So why am I so cloudy on them? Um, let's go into that. Uh, At first glance here, their defense has been pretty solid. 13th in defensive efficiency, 4th in yards per play allowed, 10th in pass yards per game allowed, and 9th in rush yards per game allowed, so not giving up a ton of yards. And they are 6th in percentage of opponent drives that reach the red zone. Now, I think that some of these stats are a bit misleading. Um I I understand the whole point of you can only play who's on your schedule. You can only play the team that is put out on the field, um, you know, against you on Sunday or Monday or Thursday or whenever. Uh, but nevertheless, their last four games have been against Pittsburgh, who ranks 32nd in offensive efficiency and quite frankly looks completely inept. Um, Miami, who great offense, but they had Skylar Thompson at quarterback that game. Uh, they play Green Bay, who is 15th in offensive efficiency, and and it looks worse than that to the eye. Rodgers and the offense kind of look completely out of sync um, so far this season, and they play Denver, who ranks 31st in offensive efficiency. On the other side of the ball, their offense has been absolutely horrible. Uh, they rank 28th in offensive efficiency, 29th in third down conversion percentage, 26th in percentage of their drives reaching the red zone. 26th in turnovers per game, 29th in offensive penalty yards. Uh, Again, drowning you with numbers here. But, you know, to summarize, this is a team that doesn't move the ball, doesn't convert on third down and turn the ball over and commit a bunch of penalties on offense. That doesn't sound like a great formula um, to me. The only thing that was even remotely holding this offense together was the rush game. Uh, Through week seven, they were 12th in rush yards per game and 14th in yards per carry on the back of their young stud, Brees Hall, who is now out for the season. Unfortunately, he was very fun to watch. And with Brees Hall out, I think it's about to just come absolutely, just all come down, all come unraveled for this Jets team. Um, They have a tough schedule coming up for the rest of the year. They still have Buffalo twice, including this week, in which I think they get absolutely trounced. Um, They still have to play at New England. They face, or I'm sorry, did they did they play at New England this past week? No, it was at home. 
Okay. And they still lost. So yeah, they still have to play at new England. They have to play at Minnesota and at Seattle. Uh, those are two of the best home field advantages in the NFL. We've talked about Seattle, but Minnesota also notably, um, you know, historically really good at home. Uh, and both those teams look solid. So forget the home field advantage. Those, those are two pretty decent teams all to, uh, you know, all in all, um, Detroit, who seems like a team that, you know, isn't very good and should be a pretty easy win, but it's also a team that you beat by scoring a lot of points and they, they are fifth in offensive efficiency and the jets, I don't know if they can score a bunch of points anymore. And then they play Miami week 18, uh, which could turn out to be for that Miami team, a pivotal game and a pivotal spot for them uh, for playoff contention, if need be, or playoff seating, if they are, you know, locked into the playoffs there. Um, I hate to be this down on a team, but I really hope the jets fans have enjoyed a, this start to the season because I, you know, I think it's all cloudy skies ahead and I, I just don't see uh, much of a path forward for success for the Jets team the rest of the way. Yeah, I think it's a bummer. I think that, you know, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, the the Jets are, you know, maybe not a playoff contender, but they're, they're winning games and they were, you know, five and two at one point. And um, I think the loss of Brees Hall is, is going to be, you know, sort of a backbreaker for that offense that Ethan, you touched on, doesn't really do a great job of moving the ball through the air. So it's a bummer to see for the Jets, but, you know, it looks like all things considered, you know, from a very macro perspective, they got the right guy at the helm. But, you know, the way the schedule lays out for them the rest of the year, it's going to be pretty tough sledding um, the rest of the way without, you know, it looks like their best playmaker on the field. So, you know, it, it stinks to say it about the Jets, but it, it sort of is one of those things that it it's what it is. So. Cloudy skies ahead for the Jets, unfortunately. Yeah, unfortunately is right. Um, you know, as an apology to those Jets and Raiders fans who we probably just made very upset and to all the rest of the loyal listeners who are still here with us, uh, our model plays for this week, which are 14 and eight so far this year. That's a pretty good number, 63%. So far, our model plays this week, which you can find every week on sporting-intelligence.com. Go subscribe. You can get all the information, all, all the matchup analysis that we use um, to talk to, you know, talk about these plays, talk about this preview here on the show. Uh, model plays this week, Eagles, Texans over, Patriots, Colts under, Dolphins, Bears under, Lions, Packers under, Jacksonville, Vegas under, and Arizona, Seattle under Pat go Phillies looking like another great week of football coming up. I'm super excited. Yep. Super excited for week nine. Hopefully we can rip off another, you know, six and one, um, you know, slate on the week nine schedule and, and you know, we'll, we'll be back either week or either way next week to talk about it, but let's keep watching football and great show today, Ethan. We'll, uh, we'll talk to everybody next week.